welcome to 15 Days of Festive Fear, day number 15. We have made it. And I have three beautiful stories for you today. And the last story comes from the 23rd of February 2021. And story number one comes from Nisha. For good measure, I am Puerto Rican, about five foot four, and weigh, well, that's no one's business but my doctor's. I guess the first story I will start with is my great-grandfather's. He sadly passed away when I was seven years old, but to this day I remember the several stories that he would tell me. My great-grandfather was a serious Christian man and would usually be spreading the word of Christ with anyone he would encounter. He was very sweet, but not one to make things up. One day, as we were casually sitting on his front porch in Peor, he decided to tell me a story of when two men in black with dark sunglasses and hats approached his wife. My great-grandfather described these men in black as being really pale, with long fingers and long nails, and dressed very fancy for their part of town. They asked her if she could spare them a glass of water, since they had been walking for quite some time in the heat. She invited them into her front living room and turned around to start walking into the kitchen that was towards the back of the house. As she was walking into the kitchen, my great-grandfather came inside the house with their firstborn, who died as a child from a sickness I do not know of, and my grandfather. Instantly, my great-grandfather sensed these men were not of this world and started asking them questions. Why are you here? Who sent you here? The MIB glanced at each other before they started speaking. My great-grandfather told my great-grandmother to get the kids and leave the house. He told me the MIB's faces started to change, and the first thing that came to his mind was to start praying. He said the house started to shake, and the MIB told them, almost in unison, that they were not there for him but for his wife and children. They came to collect. This only made my great-grandfather start praying louder. He said he closed his eyes and felt a gust of wind come through the house as if to flush out the entities my great-grandmother had invited in. When he opened his eyes, they were gone. The MIB were never seen again. I have this fear of China dolls, and I'm guessing it comes from this event in my early years. What I do recall is a mermaid porcelain figurine in my great-grandparents' home that I always felt was watching me, and could swear would change positions. But I was the only one that seemed to notice. I would go straight to my great-grandparents' house whenever we would visit Peor because they had the best treats. One afternoon, I noticed a mermaid figurine and told my great-grandmother that it felt off to me. She just brushed it off since at the time I was around three years old. As the days went on, I would see the figurine in different positions. Finally, after about a week of this happening, I asked my great-grandmother where she got the mermaid from because it creeped me out, that it kept looking at me and moving. Her face seemed to believe me, but she just said, Girl, don't say such crazy things. Go and play. The next thing I knew, as I was playing with my cousins in the field, I saw this huge fire blaze and heard a high-pitched scream. I didn't think that much of it since, again, I was only around three years old. I heard my great-grandmother call us all back to the house to eat dinner, and I suddenly noticed the porcelain mermaid figurine was gone. It wasn't until years later that I tried to connect the two events. Did my grandmother burn the china doll? If so, what were the screams that I heard coming from it? I can't ask them these questions because sadly my great-grandmother and great-grandfather have passed away. This one story freaks me out because it is the earliest paranormal situation that I can recall. My mammy and pappy, 
were divorced when I was around the age of one due to him being unfaithful and this entanglement bringing forth my baby sister. The way my mom found out he was cheating was one day my great-grandfather came to the house and said he had a great feeling there were things in their home that were bringing negativity. Like I said before, my great-grandfather was very spiritual and had strong beliefs in Christianity. My mom let him walk around their home and he found pictures of my mom burned in the bathroom, jewellery that didn't belong to my mother and other things which my mom didn't wish to tell me. He told her someone came in and did this witchcraft geared towards her to bring harm. He cleansed the house and prayed for our little family. The jewellery was that of a woman that my father was messing with at the time. My brother was around six years old when this took place. He has asthma that's emotionally activated and it got worse when my parents got divorced. He was in his bedroom laying in his bed when he started yelling for my mom to come and get him and make the books stop falling on top of him. My brother had no books anywhere near the bed for them to be falling on him. Then he started to get a bad case of asthma along with a high fever. My mom immediately took him to the ER and I stayed at my grandmother. That same night, my grandmother said she had a vision of a black horse with red eyes running around our home at an abnormal speed. Back in the hospital, my mom said a nurse came in and asked if she could pray for my brother and my mom let her do so. She described the lady as the most beautiful woman she had ever seen and that she had a presence about her that brought calmness and peace. The lady prayed over my brother and then turned to look at my mom to tell her, What came over your son was meant for you. Watch out for those that you call friends. My mom obviously looked at the lady like, What the fuck? Told her thank you for praying over her son. Within a couple of hours, my brother's high fever went back to normal, My mother, amazed and happy, started to thank God and went out to ask for the nurse who had prayed over my brother to thank her again. When she asked the doctor for her, they had no one working at the hospital with the name she had given. Turns out my dad had been messing around with someone who long hated his ex-wife and family. No one in the family would tell us who this bruja was. I was 14 turning 15, which is a huge event in Latin culture. The time when a little girl becomes a young lady. Think of it as a sweet 16. Only we call it a quinceanera. I remember having a conversation with my dad about the colour of roses. I wanted white ones and he told me to get red roses instead because white roses are the colour for the dead. A couple of days later I had a weird dream where I was out in a field feeding some chickens. There was an old woman cooking in one of those old stoves that had the long chute for the smoke to go up and out. She was wearing a black dress with little flowers on it and her hair was in a bun, it was white. I then realised that I wasn't 14 in my dream but maybe I was around 6 years old. The place I was at was like an outside kitchen with wooden shutters and behind the outside kitchen there were clothes hanging on a line. The old lady came towards me and grabbed my hand. She didn't speak but somehow I knew she was telling me that I was going to go through something devastating and that in the end I would be okay. Not whole, but okay. When I woke up, I immediately told my mom what I dreamt. When I described the old lady, my mom went white as a sheet. She walked away and came back with a black and white photograph and asked me if this was the woman I saw in my dream. I too was in shock, because in the photo was the old lady looking exactly as I had seen her in my dream. Apparently, that was the last photo they took of her with the family before she passed. My mother told me that it was her great-grandmother who passed away while I was in the room. It gave me chills. 
Was she coming to warn me of something? My mother thought so, but what could we do? That same week, I was going to school in my mom's car when I got a dreadful feeling and without thinking, said in my mind, if something horrible happened to my family, that I wanted a sign. Three vultures will do, since they were scarcely seen where I lived. And no lie, I saw all three on my way to school, all of them just looking at the car driving by. That same day, during my PE class, I had a friend who worked in the office during his teaching assistant block. He came and got me, with a sombre face letting me know that I needed to go home. My mom worked as a high school teacher where I went, so she was waiting for me outside the girls' locker room. The look on her face, I already knew what had happened. It was my dad. The next thing I knew, I was in the car on our way home. My mom told me I fainted and had to be carried to the car, and all I could think about were white roses. As I walked into our house, I locked eyes with my brother and he knew instantly as well that our dad had passed away. The next couple of days were a blur. His funeral was in Peor, closed casket, and when I asked why, no one would tell us. That night, I had a dream where I was at my father's house in a hammock when I suddenly felt his hand rubbing my head. I opened my eyes within the dream to look at him and he told me to keep them closed. Being the stubborn girl that I am, I grabbed his hand and asked him, Why are you being so weird? That is when I looked at him, smiling at me. As soon as I looked at him, this black hole started to form in his chest and his features looked like they were decomposing. Frightened, I woke up, which happened to be exactly when my baby sister called me. It was 3am and they asked me if I had had a weird dream about dad. We started to talk and she had had a similar dream. Trying not to freak out further, we hung up. The next day, we had a family reunion before leaving a gathering to remember Dad by telling stories and sharing pictures among a little bit of eating. This was when we found out that our dad had passed away from a heart attack and he wasn't found until three days later. Pappy, as I would call him, was fixing his roof when he had a heart attack. This happened on December the 3rd and he rolled down the side of the house where no one could see him and he started to decompose until three days later. He was found by my aunt, his sister because everyone was calling him and he hadn't answered. That was when my sister and I locked eyes and talked about our dreams. The black hole was his heart attack and him decomposing was the fact that he wasn't found until three days later. It all made sense to us. Maybe he was visiting us to let us know what happened to him. Which sounds like him since he was never one for keeping anything from his children. What makes this all even more sad was that he was waiting on his paperwork to transfer it to a hospital near where we lived because he was planning on moving closer to us. We live in Florida while he still lived in PR. When my husband was around nine years old, him and his mother were driving their truck down a street in West Palm Beach. His mother worked as a nanny for some millionaires and their home was on the same grounds, but it was a good five to seven minute drive down some windy roads covered with trees. As they were driving down the road like they always did, a flock of birds suddenly flew out of the trees. My husband was looking up at the birds flying away and he heard his mom scream and hit the brakes. He described the figure as a thin creature that was floating maybe a foot or two off the ground and glowing bright green. The truck was a couple of inches away from a UFO and my husband said that as soon as the creature's big black eyes the size of a small plate locked with his, the creature bolted into the trees where more birds came out flying away. To this day, he said that it creeps him out to even think about it since he felt the creature was filled with malice. 
Let's go all the way right back to the beginning of this story where we have an actual first-hand encounter with the men in black. Very rare for that to happen. I know the men in black are a really big thing in current paranormal zeitgeist, but there aren't actually very many experiences of people actually witnessing or seeing or interacting with the men in black. So it's really unusual for it to happen. And I don't think your granddad or your great-granddad rather was going to be going around looking on the annals of Reddit to find stories about the men in black to make them up. And it's interesting to have a story where they seem to be like dangerous, actually dangerous and coming to take people away because usually the men in black, they appear after there's been some sort of UFO sighting. So that is super unusual. I love these stories as well about witchcraft. I find them so fascinating. Witchcraft in other cultures, dark witchcraft, women cursing other women because of a man. I love those kinds of stories and they're so they're so interesting but also it's not the first time we've had stories like this where a brew has gotten involved and tried to curse another woman or tried to curse another family and somebody in the family has come down really ill. Like that is that's that's some seriously bitchy vibes right there. And I love hearing stories about it because I do think it's fascinating as as a cultural phenomenon, as a tradition of a different place or a different region in the world, that there are these women who in the past, I don't know how regular it is today, but in the past certainly were witches that put that actively tried to curse other women. And I hated this story about your husband seeing the alien. Hated it. That has made me very sad. I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to say anything positive about it. What was that creature? And why was it too full of malice? All of these extraterrestrial beings seem to be very, very full of malice and I'm not here for it. And story number two comes from Leanne. This is a love story that ends in tragedy. I'm going to change the names because even 14 years later, I fear it will be too painful for those involved should they happen to hear it. Josh and I met in high school. He approached me out of the blue and asked to confirm if we were using the same brand and colour of hair dye. We were. And from that day forward we began a journey of fast friendship that bloomed for over a decade before it was cut short. It seemed that we had known each other forever. Josh and I were just naturally comfortable with each other. Much of his family thought or at least hoped that we were dating. But that, traditionally speaking, was off the table. Long before he was comfortable coming out to his family he came out to me. That Josh was gay. I didn't give a single damn. I just wanted him to be happy and we loved each other deeply. A mutual female friend who was as close to him in a similar way noted that our friendships for him were greater than any romantic relationship. No sex to muddle things up, you see. He went off to college and I was left to limp through my senior year without him. He was only a 45-minute drive away, but we wrote. Inevitably, change comes. Different paths took us further away from each other. Our worlds became different. Even our sleep patterns had become totally opposite. When we had the rare chance to meet, it was between day and night. We always picked up right where we left off, like we'd never been apart. Then one evening as I was getting ready for a night out, my mother came home and told me I needed to sit down. I thought I was in for a talking to for coming home hammered early in the week. Instead, my mom told me that Josh was dead. Though dead is too gentle and kind a word. He had, in truth, been murdered earlier that same day. I called her a liar and beat my fists against her. She was telling the truth. Josh was gone. A friend asked me why someone had killed him. The short answer was that the man was, and probably still is, deeply unwell. He was caught the same day and remains in prison. 
One night between the murder and the funeral, I was laying on the love seat in our living room facing the front door. I saw movement through the glass and sat up to get a better look. And there was my friend, smoky and pale on the front porch. I stared and he looked at me frantically. I think he hadn't gotten the memo. My mom asked me what I was seeing and I told her nothing. At best, it would have been choked up to shock. The funeral came and it was terrible, but as we stood at his graveside, a deer came near and began jumping and prancing around. To this day, I have no notion what on earth might have prompted such a response in such a typically bashful creature. This was not, as it happens, a small gathering. Years later, at the sentencing of Josh's killer, in an old courthouse with floors as thick as you like, a strange thing happened. As the verdict was being read, huge noises began to ring out. The best way I can describe it is that it was like someone was dropping giant bowling balls on marble flooring above us, repeatedly. I held hands tightly with the people on either side of me and everybody looked to the ceiling. The murderer was found guilty, and I believe Josh had his last word. He once came to me in a strange dream. I told him he had been killed and he smiled knowingly at me. He didn't speak but I somehow felt he was trying to tell me that he was okay. Then he was gone again. Now and again I take out an album I made of our friendship and in a photo I show to very few people I see his smiling face over my shoulder. I'm standing in front of his bathroom mirror and I took the photo days after he had been killed. There's very little comment to be made on this story but what I will say is I'm terribly sorry for your loss. I'm terribly sorry that somebody you loved so dearly was taken away from you so needlessly and so suddenly and in a way I'm very sorry that you have this story to tell at all. And story number three comes from M. I wanted to tell you my stories for a long time. There are a lot of them you see but the problem is that paranormal experiences tend to not really have a narrative. They're mostly just standalone moments of something wrong in an otherwise normal stream of every days. Sometimes these moments are like puzzle pieces sprinkled out over time, eventually forming something that vaguely makes sense. Once in a while an experience is so strong that it stands out as a story worth telling in itself. Fortunately, I have a few of both. When I was 19 I moved out of my parents' house and into an apartment complex with my boyfriend. I had a job and was in my first year of studying psychology, and things were good. I felt very grown up. Little did I know that this place was riddled with puzzle pieces. It didn't take long before I started hearing voices. They seemed far away and distorted, but somehow could be distinctly placed somewhere in the room. Sometimes there was a clear single voice speaking, sometimes several whispering at the same time. The duration of these experiences varied wildly, as they would stop when I became aware of them and thus scared of them. What they all had in common, though, was that I could never understand what they were saying. Now, this wasn't the first time I heard voices. It had been happening from time to time for as long as I can remember. By then, I had even seen full apparitions at least twice. But it was happening so frequently, and I didn't believe in anything paranormal. I had learned enough psychology to know I was experiencing symptoms of schizophrenia, and that I was in the common age of onset, but not enough to know that I very clearly wasn't schizophrenic. It was terrifying. One morning I was awoken by a scream. Startled, I sat up looking around for the source of the continuous raw wail. On our nightstand was a man's head. 
He had tussled dark hair and his face was black with smeared dirt. His mouth was wide open, still screaming. It was all so sudden and absurd, I didn't feel anything, not even fear. I blinked hard, knowing from previous experiences that it would make him go away, and it did. A little shaken and wide awake, I checked on my boyfriend. He was still sleeping soundly between me and the nightstand. I got mental help, but it wasn't really going anywhere. I was struggling with keeping up with my studies, took on fewer and fewer shifts at my job and had daily and nightly panic attacks. When my boyfriend got a job in another town, we decided I would take a break from everything and move with him. The decline in what I believed to be auditory hallucinations was immediate and significant. I continued to have experiences, of course, but I never heard those voices again. A few years later, I stumbled upon an article in the local paper of my previous hometown. They were digging up the parking lot outside my old apartment complex when they discovered several unmarked graves. In the graves, they found remains and pieces of equipment that suggested they belonged to World War II German soldiers. The article ended with the chilling information that several more graves were located outside of the area where they had acquired a permit to dig and they would not be digging outside of it in order to move the graves. I wonder how many dead men buried far from their families in a foreign country surrounded that building. Several more years after this, the scariest encounter I've had to this day happened. My mental health was slowly but steadily improving. I'd come to terms with these strange happenings being a part of my life, and I'd even come to mostly appreciate them as something mildly interesting, spicing up a long week or a boring month. Sure, I still got scared once in a while, and it's always uncomfortable in the moment, but I could handle it. I thought. It was the end of the summer and my boyfriend and I had a weekend alone in my family's century-old summer house. I'd never experienced anything out of the ordinary there. It was a happy place, a safe place. This house is located quite far north, so while the midnight sun had set for the summer, the nights still didn't get completely dark. Even with the curtains drawn, there was just enough light coming through to see every object in the room, especially in the bedrooms where all the furniture, the walls, the ceiling and the floor are painted white. Everything seemed normal, until I woke up in the middle of the night with the strangest feeling. I intensely felt like something was just wrong. It was like when you walk into a room and forget what you were supposed to do and you simply can't remember what it was, no matter how hard you try. Unsettled, I turned to lay on my side, my duvet close to my chest for comfort, and tried to sleep again. I didn't get the chance. Shortly after closing my eyes, I felt a hand on my shoulder, stroking down the entire length of my arm. I already knew it wasn't my boyfriend. The angle of the hand was just wrong. Even so, I forced my eyes open, hoping it was him. There was nothing in front of me, just the nightstand and the wall. I turned to look at my boyfriend, and he was fast asleep with his back towards me. My heart pounding, I looked around the room. We should have been alone, but in the corner by the door stood a woman. It was too dark to make out any details, but she had long dark hair that stood in stark contrast to everything else in the room and light-coloured clothing. I blinked hard. That always makes them go away. But not her. Absolutely terrified, I shook my boyfriend awake. Half asleep, and with years of practice handling my occasional nightly frights, he pulled me into his arms and asked me if I had a nightmare. I lied and told him I did. 
Me too, he replied. The woman was still there, completely still in the corner. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't sleep and I didn't want to tell my boyfriend what I was seeing, but I had to know if he could see her too, if she was real. So I asked him to turn on the light. The switch was by the door. He sighed but complied. I watched him get out of bed, walk around it, walk right past her and pause by the door. He was so close she could have reached out and touched him. The moment the light turned on she disappeared and everything was white again. Nervously I told him to turn it off. The wall was still white and she was gone. I haven't seen her here again but she marked the start of something new. They could touch me now. It's probably the part I dislike the most about all of this. Ghosts sorely need to learn about consent. I don't think they necessarily do it out of malice though. One evening I crawled into bed and my boyfriend, who as usual had fallen asleep before I was even done brushing my teeth, turned to hold me. The sweetheart doesn't even know he does this most nights. Not long after I became aware of a hand on my hip. It's not an unfamiliar feeling, but alarm bells were still ringing in my head. Then I put the pieces together. My boyfriend's arm was around my waist, his other arm above my head. I felt three hands on my body. Trying hard to stay calm, I put my hand over where I felt the third hand. It never lifted, but nevertheless disappeared. Some days later it happened again, exactly the same except the extra hand was on my shoulder this time. I was not happy. It felt intrusive and creepily intimate. Then I had the strangest dream. Every now and then I lucid dream. Everyone should experience it at least once. It truly is the most amazing feeling. There are dreams where you are lucid in the sense that you are aware that you are dreaming, but things just seem to happen around you. And there are dreams where you are fully lucid and can control everything in the dream. When I'm in the latter one, I can feel that everything around me is a part of me, or rather that I am everything around me. It's a feeling of being home unlike anything that is possible to experience in the real world. A few times I have felt something foreign in my world made entirely of me, a small part I cannot control. This time I awoke into a perfect replica of my bedroom. I immediately knew I was lucid dreaming. Everything was too bright and vivid and comfortable. Then I felt it. A bug in my dream machine. I looked to my right. Next to me in my bed was a young woman I didn't recognise. She was of African descent with a mass of brown curls pulled back behind her ears and she spoke Norwegian in a perfect northern dialect. Her cheeks seemed to sparkle with tears. Please let me be him, she sobbed. It was a short sentence but she communicated more than just the words. I knew she was talking about my boyfriend. If she didn't seem so sad and so vulnerable, it would have been terrifying. I told her she couldn't, that she didn't belong here, and that she had to move on. She said she was so, so lonely and begged me to let her stay. I didn't know what to do, so I did what they do on TV. It's going to be alright, just go to the light. And then, just knowing it was the right thing to say, I told her, He's there though I had no idea who this man supposedly waiting for her was. Her eyes widened and her face softened and she said she could see it now. I wished her good luck and let go of the dream. As I faded from her, her expression suddenly changed and she yelled, Wait, I can't find it! I can't find it! But it was too late. 
I couldn't get back and her shouts jolted me awake. I really hope it wasn't real. There's a part of me that feels like I know it definitely was real, but in that case I might have let her down. It feels better to think that it was just a dream. After all, I was asleep and things don't have to be real just because they feel real. I'm still on the fence regarding whether I believe in anything paranormal or not, which probably sounds strange to many people. My hard-earned truth is that when it comes to things that can't be proven or disproven, you actually don't have to choose to believe or not. The future might still hold evidence going in either direction. In the end, it doesn't make a difference whether I call my experiences hallucinations or paranormal encounters. They still happened to me. And I think that is the crux of all of these stories. Is that it doesn't matter whether or not it's provably paranormal or it's provably psychological or physical the fact of the matter is the people who experience these stories experience these stories and they have a profound effect on them but I do think that Emma's has made an incredibly good point which that just as consent is very important in life consent is also very important in death and those non-consensual nighttime touchings are not okay even in the afterlife doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what you're trying to convey that shit is not okay It's also not okay to be standing in the corner of the room just to frighten somebody because that is not positive energy and feels very like the movie Lights Out. Very good as a short film on YouTube. Definitely recommend looking it up. As a long film, not so much. Thank you so much to Nisha, Leanne and M for sending in your stories. Remember, the last story was the 23rd of February 2021. If you would like to send in your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast.gmail.com. You can also check out our website, reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. Thank you so much for keeping me company on these 15 days of festive fear. I hope you very much enjoyed them. Remember, I will not be back, unlikely to be back rather, for main episodes for a little bit of time at the beginning of 2022. But there will be mini episodes as per usual. And I will speak to you soon.